I'm really, really pleased and excited to be joined by Naomi Murray and Kay Tibbles from Every Cloud Play Therapy. Um, we've worked with you guys before um, and you've done some training for us, which we were, was so interesting. We really wanted to, to work together again. Um, it's mixed emotions, really excited to be talking to you, but it should have been our conference and we were going to work and present on that together. So our We Are Brain Scientists conference. It will be coming back, so watch this space. Um, so I'm going to hand over to, to Kay and to Naomi to talk to us a little bit about what's actually happening for a child when they're in a, uh, sort of when they're distressed, when they're upset, what's actually going on for them in, in those moments. So handing over to you guys. Hello, ladies. <laughs> Hi, who wants to go first? <laughs> Shall I go first? Okay. You go first, Kay. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so maybe just to start with, I could talk a little bit about the kind of science of what happens when a child's dysregulated. So dysregulation really is, is just, it's kind of the proper term for when a child is distressed or what we might call a tantrum or um, an outburst, aggressive behaviour perhaps, or it can be the opposite. It can be that they're really um, in, a, in a kind of a state of hypoarousal. So it could be that they're shutting down and, um, you know, uh, backing away from, from social contact and um, disengaging in that way. Um, and what's, what's happening for them then is that they're, their brains really are reverting back to kind of the early stages of its development where when uh, when they feel under threat they'll either um, turn to the fight or flight response mm. um, or collapse or freeze response um, and 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 those are the kind of the states that that happen when a child is dysregulated um, um, so yeah, I mean a child's brain develops from the bottom up, so it starts with that very primitive part of the brain um, and then the second part of the brain to develop is their more emotional and kind of attachment forming part of the brain and it's not until they're much older that really the rational learning thinking part of the brain and language part of the brain develops which um, you know, is the part that's needed for them to rationalise calming themselves down. So do you think, do, so do you think, Kate, if if we're thinking about children we work with and people are sort of talking about like toddler tantrums and these things as well, do you think we're, what we're saying at the, at the moment is actually they're, I think it's it's really prevalent to say that they're, they're not, it's not a deliberate act, is yes, it? Absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a primitive response that we're all programmed to do. Um, our brains are built in such a way that when we feel like we're under threat, we go back to that basic part of our brain that says, oh, hang on a minute. And it's, it's the am I safe, do I matter yeah. part of the brain that when we're babies is what keeps us alive. We look for, is there someone here who's going to keep me safe and do I matter to someone enough to keep me safe? It's it's how, it's about survival. And so when children become dysregulated, their brains are just reverting back to that and they're getting themselves in a state where they respond primitively. They're not thinking, I know, I'll, yeah. I'll have a massive tantrum and see how everybody <laughs> reacts. They're really not consciously thinking that. And I think that's a really good point, isn't it? Because it's not like you're going into, you know, you're going into a shop and your child's going to do it deliberately. They really aren't. They're, it's just to get that understanding and, and get that sort of um, those, perhaps those techniques in place. That actually, we can, we can explain a little bit more and just sort of say what we can do, really. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of the, the what the what's happening, and perhaps sometimes we call it attention-seeking behaviour when actually really it's connection-seeking. They're looking for someone. They're saying help, basically. That's what their behaviour is communicating when they're in that state. Um, so yeah, I don't know if Naomi, if you want to talk some more about um, 
kind of about co-regulation. So co-regulation is we can't expect um, a young child or a baby to be able to go from dysregulation to soothing themselves. Um, Contrary to what perhaps some books might say, (laughs) it's not actually possible to do that. The only way in which we can regulate is with a, a calming other. So, sort of a co-regulation, actually broken down, is connecting with others. Okay, that's lovely, yeah. It's, yeah, it's the ability mm. of the caregiver, whether this is a parent or a practitioner, it's someone that is taking care of that child, it's their ability to tune in and interpret the, the child, or possibly even the teenagers, babies, that person's physical and emotional needs in that moment. When they're responded to in a way that foster connections, that dysregulated brain can begin to return to its calmer state. And what would so you get? brains that are under? Yeah, I'm just wonder, I just wonder, Naomi, like in in everyday um, practice and in everyday life, like what would that dysregulation look like? It would just look like Kay was saying of somebody being really upset and somebody not being able to comfort themselves. Obviously, in so there are obvious ways that that that, that person might be dysregulated. If you're if you really know and you're attuned to that child, you'll pick up even the slightest little changes okay. in their emotional face. So the more a caregiver is attuned to um, the the child or the the infant that they're looking after, then the more they can pick up the slight changes that might not be obvious to everybody. Okay, right, okay. So it's just about being really tuned in and understanding the child there. Yeah, knowing knowing what's normal for that child. Okay. Um, so, so in the early years, so the, the 0 to 3, brains are still, like Hay was saying, very much under construction. Um, and they're able to regulate themselves. They rely on someone else, a calmer other, to connect with them emotionally and help them co-regulate. And when we do that, when we can sit alongside or pick up and soothe or help the withdrawn child join back in with the group, each time we do that, we're laying down uh, neural pathways um, that can be used to regulate and to, to calm and bring that bring that calm brain back online. So so you're actually like you can you're actually physically growing that child's helping them to grow their brain. Physically doing it, yeah. You're developing their nervous system. Every time you calm a child down, it's like a gossamer thread um, between the neural part uh, the neurons like a neural pathway, a gossamer thread. But the more that happens, the more those pathways strengthen so that eventually that that child will be able to calm themselves and regulate themselves. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, actually, Naomi. It might seem like a daft question. but So mm. once the child has sort of experienced this co-regulation and they learn these skills, is that then they're sort of set for life? Or, like, or does it... Is it very much dependent on situations and your mood or what's happening? You know, once you've got it, have you got it? Or is it something that's an, always an ongoing 
project. So it's so this is this is all part of our nervous system, Becky. Mm. And the previous experience set the blueprint for how effective that system is. And the sort of a key player in this nervous system is our vagal tone. So our vagal tone is like a muscle. It needs to be developed and it needs to be worked at. So young children are quite likely to have a weaker vagal tone. But equally, as someone that hasn't been supported by a tuned-in adult may never get the, the opportunities to develop a stronger vagal tone. So is there a critical period for this to develop? Um, I'd say the most critical time, Kelly, would you agree, is sort of that, that, that naught to three? That first thousand days is what they yeah. say, isn't it? Yeah. The first yeah. thousand days is the critical time when those things are most likely, I think, to be developed well and strongly. And that's not to say that our, our brains are plastic. They, change, they can change when we get older. Things are not um, set in stone for life past that. But they have a much better chance if in that first thousand days... Um, these things can be put in and, and well developed strongly in their early years. Um, it sets them, it gets, sets them on, you know, a much stronger, better path. You know, I think the, the statistics just show that the, the outcomes are, are usually better for people who've had that better start in the first thousand days. Which um, and, yeah, and actually, it's true of so many other skills, isn't it? The, yeah. I guess, Language therapist, I'm like, yep, that window of opportunity. It is so yeah. much brain development happening, isn't there? Which yeah. then leads us back to that role of, you know, early years practitioners and professionals working with these little brains and, and the, yeah. the importance of getting getting that right, really. Well, I think yeah. it's absolutely crucial, isn't it? And that's why we wanted to say, like, you are brain scientists. So anybody working or living with a child, you are physically helping that child to grow a strong brain. So, so you've got to really, really value what you do. It's completely crucial. So, you know, and also, especially in the early years and in all education as well, all the way through, those professionals working really need to value themselves I think I think once we yeah. all start valuing ourselves for the actual job we do in building those brains we can enable society you know the community society you know what, what, what we're growing by growing those brains and working with children really like Naomi and Kay said as well being really tuned into those children to understand yeah. them and understand them emotionally and sort of just really watch and observe what's happening and then carry on and and know that, that like we were saying at the beginning you know, we want them to know that we've got them that, that actually they're so important to us that we are going to enable them for the future to go on and have um better well-being a better better sort of um physical and mental well-being as well so I think I think this is where I'm so passionate about the role in early years of the professional is just so so crucial the role of the parent is so crucial you know but also the role of the early years profession we can't just go in and you know we've really got to think about this research and we really got to think about what we actually do every day and I think once we start valuing ourselves we might be valued more as a profession as well yeah. and people might yeah. start to understand that yeah Becky you're absolutely spot on because it's the, the biggest resource that the practitioner has so we spoke about the vagal tone being a muscle and how it needs to be developed 
when that practitioner, when that caregiver is supporting that child in co-regulation, they are lending them their their own well-developed, strong vagal tone. Wow. So they're sharing it. Mm. And, And so if that vagal tone is strong and it's solid and it's replenished, on a regular basis so this is where that self-care for the early years practitioner it fits in with your podcast on that how are you yeah, yeah? can i just say so there is a, there is a, there's a saying with that um that we like in play therapy like to use which is um that you can't give away what you haven't got so that's you know, so true you can't give something you don't have yourself so if you are not that calm regulated person you can't give that to a child you can't help someone else unless you've helped yourself you, you need to put your own oxygen mask on before you can help somebody else yeah that's... I think that's what you were saying Naomi that just the way you said that about you're giving a part of yourself you're sharing something yeah that's really powerful that's mm-hmm. made me feel that made me feel all funny that that's such a that's such a it's such a gift to be able to give isn't it that's yeah. something that yeah. again i don't think people necessarily it's not something i'd have ever thought about so i think that's quite a powerful yeah, yeah powerful message is that i'm just thinking i we could talk about this i could listen to you <laughs> talk about this for hours but i'm also really interested in the play therapy side of things and how you've used that information um sort of to inform your practice and what you do I'm just going to ask my my other co-podcaster Becky is that something that we could ask Naomi and Kate to come and talk to us about on another time because I just I don't want to I don't want to not give it enough time oh definitely if you'd like to yeah and I think it's sort of something we could we could also do if anybody would like us to do it we can pop a video up and do something like that as well which we were thinking of and just you know just get because I think tapping into what we really need to do and, and where we need to be is something you know we've discussed in our other uh, other podcasts like Naomi was just saying you know and in the blogs if you want to head over to thriveinlanguage.co uk you can you can have a look there and see it's just what we've been talking about and just saying you know where are you in this you know how do you feel and you're gonna you need to know that in on an every day in your practice and that's something me and my team discuss as soon as we go in in the morning and we know if if you need if you have to be honest about where you are and able to grow children's brains really really well absolutely so do you just sort of stop Coming up, do you, Kane and Naomi, do you have like a, a key message or a, a, like something that you would that you want us to know or that you think we should know from? <laughs> I know putting you on the spot because you no no no. You I've got a key um, messages, but yeah, go on, Kane. Have you got yeah? I, there's there's um another you know it's like another expression that we like to use, which is um, be a thermostat, not a thermometer. So by that we mean that when you're Um, helping a child who's dysregulated you need to respond and not react so you need to think of yourself as a thermostat that that maintains a constant temperature if you like not a thermometer that escalates and escalates and escalates with the child and gets up there where they are you you remain a thermostat and your job's to bring them back down to where you are to that level that's really yeah. it's a really like a really strong visual sort of attached to that isn't it so that's yeah really yeah it's good good to have a little visual with it just to, yeah. to remind yeah to remind yeah, yeah. Naomi anything anything that from you that you hadn't said so there's there's a little infographic that goes with this that I can show you but we, we talk about regulation with regards to the three R's so first of all when a child is in that that state of distress you have to regulate with them. 
once once they've been regulated by you sharing your calm with them, then you're relating to them. Your that that relationship is so important. And then once they've reached that calm place with you supporting them, then you reason with them. So that's that's the point that you can address the behaviour. That's the point you address the what's gone wrong. But you regulate first, then you relate and then you reason. So it's those three R's. It needs to happen in that order. You can't go straight to the reasoning. You know, you can't you can't go straight there. It's that you know, another term is used that you might have heard before is that when a child is drowning, that's not the time to teach them to swim. Yeah. You rescue them first from that state of distress. That's, that's fantastic. That's really helpful. I think it really helps us in practice. And I, I know I'll be listening to this over and over again. So and again, everybody's. But that's brilliant. Can I just finish just by saying, just you know, just to uh, really, this is our that a tiny sort of thing about what our what our brain scientist conference would have been about. But actually. I just want to finish on that note so everybody really treasures what they do for a living and really values themselves as well. So I just wanted to say, like, we are the profession that grows minds for a living and we are brain scientists. So nicely put. Thank you for joining us, ladies. Thank you so much.